Congratulations, you're listening to the most effective advertising campaign in the world. That's right, this campaign for the Master of Advertising Effectiveness is more effective than any other ad campaign in the world because it doesn't just get advertising and marketing people to take our program, but those people then go on to improve the commercial results for the brands they work on, adding millions of dollars of value to their organizations, which are sometimes small and sometimes absolutely massive. And when you add all of that value up and divide it by the perfectly calculated yet modest amount we spend on this campaign, our return on investment is one to almost infinity. So join me and walk, become a master of advertising effectiveness and be part of the most effective advertising campaign in the world. Go immediately to mae.academy. That's mae.academy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the WARC podcast. My name is Rika Facundo, and I'm the Asia editor. I'm super excited to unpack today's topic. As the Asia editor, I'm always on the lookout for stories that capture the spirit of our region. And social commerce is just one of those megatrends where Asia is leading adoption and innovation. Reports say that it can add up to $42 billion in Southeast Asia alone. In Indonesia in particular, it has the second largest population of TikTok users after the U.S. It's clear that social commerce is here to stay, but the rapid innovation is constantly blurring the lines of what's working and what's possible. To help unpack this super complex social shelf are three experts who contributed to our recent APEC Spotlight report on social commerce. We have uh, Mansa Harikar from uh, Mindshare, Amandeep Singh from VML YNR, and Finn Heinemann from Stickler. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Rika. Great to be here. Hi, Rika. Such a pleasure to be here. Hey, Rika. Great to be here. Great to have you on. I want to first start off with some definitions. And like I said earlier, really unpacking what exactly is social commerce? At what point does this definition start to become blurry? And for this, um, I'd love to give it to to Mansa, since you know you are in the media space. Um, Social commerce is digital commerce through social media, but heavily influenced by aspects like communication, authenticity and trust. And it has evolved so much over time. Um, A decade ago, we didn't have the kind of um, data personalization or recommendations that we have today. Um, So it's become a lot more efficient and convenient from a media planning perspective, as well as from a shopper's perspective. Um, So while I would say that social shops, live selling, conversational, these are all different types of social commerce. At this point in time, um, as these platforms are merging their capabilities and expanding to new services, the lines are a bit blurred, right? Shoppers love it. They tap into the services offered all within a single familiar ecosystem. So I would say it's increasingly entertainment, commerce and convenience all at once. And I think Line is a great example of this. It started off as a messaging app, but today in Thailand, we have Line Pay, Line Man, Line TV, and so much more. And yeah, so with it being projected to grow up to $125 billion in the next five years, I think there's a lot of excitement and opportunities in this space and a lot of benefits that shoppers can look forward to as well. I'm going to stay with you a little bit, Mansa. Earlier, you said social commerce happens on social media platforms, but later on, you did cite examples from line messaging apps, super apps, which are very common in Asia. But these are not necessarily social media platforms, right? So how would you how would you make that distinction? 
Um, I would classify super apps as a part of social commerce as well, given their capability to offer conversation and conversational commerce, therefore. Um, so with a two-way dialogue, you're essentially able to put forward a product catalog to users, uh, build in that bit of purchase intent in them and eventually help them check out a product all within the same app. Um, so I would probably call super apps as social commerce as well. And is it right to say then that regardless of the, the platform, the unifying experience then is that there's a social element to it, whether it's uh, you know commenting, whether it's interacting with a, a chatbot or a, or a real human in, in this case? Yeah, I would agree. Anything with the communication aspect to it, real time probably in certain aspects, authenticity, trust, everything in one platform, I would call it social commerce. All right. Does anyone else have anything to add to how you would pull apart a social commerce based on what you're seeing? I know, Aman, you're based out of uh, Thailand. Any Anything that you would add? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it was a very important definition which Mansa just gave, right? So if you understand Thailand, right, if you're outside Thailand, Line is number one messaging app. And I would also agree with Mansa that it is a social platform in itself because it's a two-way communication. So whether it is peer-to-peer -peer or whether it is brands, uh, it is a platform which is used for interactions. So definitely when you have a commerce integrated into an ecosystem like Line, which is a super app, it, it uh, kind of falls under the social commerce platform or ecosystem. All right, so your answers made me think about how to differentiate social commerce platforms. So I think the other thing that when I speak to people that gets kind of muddled in their head is what makes our ecosystem um, unique. As we know, China has been leading social commerce for a while now, but there's been so much news about how the rest of Asia is starting to develop. So I want to put this question to Finn. Uh, how do you see the ecosystem or dynamics the same or different for the rest of the region and even for Western markets? So I think what's happening at the moment is the the shift as the rest of the region copies what has really been happening in China over time. So in China, the the what's being called social commerce actually usually happens on the commerce sites with social uh, social interactivity on those sites. So it's video, but it's on retail sites. And I think what we're seeing is platforms across Asia are actually integrating the functionality that we've seen in China. So in China, you watch a video, you click through to make a purchase, and that happens instantaneously in the app. You don't leave the video you're watching. It still plays in the background. It, it's a 10-second transaction. And I think what's happening across the region is people are starting to actually uh, integrate that functionality. And in integrating that functionality, it changes the conversion ratio of people who are watching the video. It increases the economics and the ROI associated with the video. And that's changing everything. So TikTok is bringing that together and really rolling out not what people have done previously and called live commerce, but they've actually rolled out what has been done in China and has been so successful. So Finn, if I'm hearing you correctly, let's first start with China. So in China, the way that it developed was that there was uh, the social features on more commerce platforms, but the ecosystem in the rest of Asia is taking that commerce feature and basically applying it across different types of platforms, whether they're social, marketplace, entertainment platforms like TikTok. Is that 
the correct way to understand that? Yes. So I think building on what the guys said previously around the definition of social commerce, we look at live commerce happening in four areas, and that's commerce on social apps. It's more social aspects on commerce apps. It's um, platforms that are born into live and just have buyers and sellers who are just doing that. And then there's social functionality on um on advertiser websites or on client websites. So they're sort of the, the four pots that that we see. And how about, I'm gonna add another market in here. I know it's already complicated, but let's talk about the West, right? Um, there's, again, a lot of chatter about social commerce, live selling, trying to take off in the US. So Finn, in your experience, what is it about the West that's different and the way that it's starting to develop its ecosystem? Should it be borrowing some more features from Asia or is it going to just develop into its own beast? So I think what's happened so far in the US especially is they've looked at what was happening in China and they've looked at the historical uh, commerce platforms with content like QVC and HSN and TV shopping and they've kind of put two and two together and got three in what they've tried to replicate in the US whereas what's happening at the moment in Indonesia and across Southeast Asia is the real functionality is rolling out and that's where this transaction happens in the video and what we've seen literally in the last couple of months is some of the US platforms starting to integrate that functionality so YouTube has just um, announced that they're going to allow transactions happening inside the video. Shopify have done this through their shop's consumer-facing app. And so we're seeing this shift, a bit like we saw in e-commerce around the world, right, where some people thought they were doing it. They thought they were um, giving that sort of frictionless um, method of someone of a consumer being able to purchase, but they, they weren't actually doing the full experience. And now what we're seeing in the West is people starting to actually offer consumers that full experience. And so the uptake is starting to increase. So what I'm hearing from everyone is that Asia outside of China is starting to develop its own ecosystem full of social commerce platforms. And that coincides with another trend that I've been observing and how these local social commerce platforms are actually providing more options or new options rather to advertisers outside the usual suspects of your metas and Googles, etc. And I want to poise this question to Amandi because you wrote about line and the potential of line and messaging apps in um, your contribution to our spotlight. So why do you think these platforms have been historically so overlooked? And do you think, do you agree with my trend and observation? Be curious to hear your thoughts. Sure. I think it's uh, important to understand the markets. For example, Line is uh, dominating in uh, Thailand and Japan, as everybody knows. So if you take Thailand as a market, as an example, right, Line is already the number one messaging platform, right? It is used by almost the entire population. So imagine you have WhatsApp in other countries, but what differentiates WhatsApp uh, from something like Line is that Line is a super app, right? We talked about it. It has Messenger, it has delivery, it has wallet, it has entertainment, it has stickers. And most importantly, it also closed the loop by offering commerce. So the thought behind Line getting into commerce is that if a lot of people are already interacting with brands through their official channels, which are called OAS, official accounts, then why not also offer uh, ability to buy and check out in the ecosystem itself? Right. So what is the direct implication for the brands? Right. The direct implication for the brands is that from many years, uh, 
they were doing a broadcast or interactions or customer service via line it being the number one messenger messenger app but now they are able to close the loop inside the line itself so you don't have to go to a third party e-commerce marketplace or your d2c you can do it inside and to your questions that why search platforms have been overlooked right uh, in comparison to say meta i think one of the biggest reasons obviously is that such platforms like line are limited to a market like thailand and japan uh, they are not widely known globally or regionally like meta and and whatsapp uh, and the second reason i would say is that while you are building a new channel right as a route to market as a social commerce it takes a lot of time and energy right so obviously uh, these are the two reasons which kind of make it difficult or make uh, people overlook line as a platform for social commerce i'm going to point the next question to mansa as the resident contributor wearing the media hat here who's dealing with a lot of the media plans coming from from clients do you see more um focus or attention being placed on platforms such as line or other of the conversational or messaging apps in in asia uh there is definite interest in these uh, regional platforms but i think at the end of the day um from a planning perspective it boils down to who is it that we are trying to reach um and what is it that we are trying to solve by reaching out to them um so essentially it also is if we partner with a platform like meta because of their global spread um it's easier to lean on them for their technical support um for their widespread capabilities rather than work with a wall garden or a super app like line and lean on them and work with them to build something that's probably not there already so i think it goes back to the fundamentals right who are you trying to reach and what's the best platform to reach them so let's say your audience is you know thailand is a very key market for you so maybe it is worth investing in your strategy and your efforts into line in thailand is am i hearing that right mansa Yeah, I agree with you. What I find really interesting around social commerce and APAC is that this is probably the first time a trend hasn't trickled down from other markets into APAC. And so whether it's a super app, a messaging app, text-based, whether it's video, whatever, this is being driven by consumer demand and consumer usage. So whether that's interacting with brands through their messaging app or watching videos of of brand um spokespeople selling things it's all driven by consumer behavior whereas everything else that's happened in commerce before has kind of been top down and driven in platforms and driven to consumers asking them to transact in a way that the brand or the marketplace or the platform like meta is pushing them to do it what's interesting with this is it's much more people power and we're now seeing that with you know amazon launching their inspire app apparently meta getting back into live commerce youtube changing the way that they're allowing people to to sell to consumers. So it it feels to me whether it's line in Thailand or TikTok in Indonesia or Vietnam, it's much more people power and consumer driven than other trends we've seen before. Why is this I'm going to this is a big word you can correct me if I'm wrong but why is that a game changer for Asia for the way commerce has been done historically fin I think we have a different type of consumer in Asia. You know, you're talking about less disposable income, you're talking about uh different brands, different uh, items being purchased online than in the West and it's followed a different pattern. And I think everything from you know 
smartphones, bigger screens, four and 5G connectivity, data bundles, right the way through to different platforms, different functionality, different people selling and different people buying. It's a different set of user behavior. And again, I think that's being driven by the community and how they want to transact. So someone like Line launching functionality where you can purchase through what is effectively a text messaging app is driven by the fact that it's where consumers are spending their time. They're already engaging with the official accounts. And then they're saying, well, I want to buy here as well. Whereas if you look at Meta, which is an organization is very, very top down, they're trying to preach and push how they think it should work. So whether that's through their marketplace, whether that's through their first iteration and first attempt at live commerce. And it didn't resonate it didn't work and so whether it is the connection speeds and the screens and whatever or whether it's the pandemic forcing people to try different ways of purchasing it's just game changing that it's following the consumer rather than pushing them to interact in a certain way so you would agree game changer yes absolutely so with anything that's game changing That means everyone is running around trying to figure out what's the new way of doing things, what's their new role, and just, I guess, learning as you go along. And we spoke a little bit about the, from the tech point of view, but we do have, you know, agency representatives here. So I'm curious to hear, like, what do you think the role of agencies and brands or publishers here in this new ecosystem? And I'm going to direct this question to Aman. What are you seeing with your, with your clients? Sure. I think we just touched upon, you know, social commerce being game changer, right? And what does game changer mean in terms of business, right? Commercially speaking, it means that brands or marketeers are now seeing social commerce as a full-blown, you know, route to market, just like any other channels. And when you are basically developing a new route to market, you really need to understand the channel, how customers are interacting with it. And I think the most important part is you need to bring in the marketing, the brand teams, and the trade teams, which are essentially sales teams together, right? And I think this is the biggest gap right now we have in our ecosystem of, you know, working with brands, agencies, uh, or publishers. So I think the role of the agencies uh, should be to bridge this gap, which is bringing together uh, brand marketeers, customer experience professionals, and the commerce teams together, right? And what does this mean, right? What it means is that we, all these teams need to have a shared vision, They need to have shared responsibilities and these shared responsibilities should be towards hardcore KPIs, uh, which means commercial KPIs, right? And as we move ahead, you will see that, uh, you know, all the marketers or all the businesses, they are looking inwards also, right? Which we call basically a service design approach. Communication is very one way, right? You look at brand assets, you look at films, you look at communication. But if you're trying to orchestrate a full-blown route to market to commerce, so you need to look inwards also. So, and I, I really believe that all the agencies have been traditionally looking at building the brand and doing the communications, but at the end of the day, we are in business of driving profits. So that's how I see the role of agencies. So we started this conversation with social commerce being really, really complex. So I think agencies are integral to navigating it, to keeping it in check, to making sure that it actually delivers back into your brand and your performance outcomes. And, you know, there have been so many types of social commerce that's been mentioned already in this in this co- short conversation, live selling, conversational commerce, line, etc. So I think for the last question before we go into best practice, how do we navigate all of these different types of platforms? 
how are agencies and clients supposed to choose, I suppose? And Mansa, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think the rule of thumb is to understand what's the requirement. And like Finn pointed out, um, what's the consumer behavior on each of these platforms? And what's the problem that brands are looking to solve? So it could be that we are looking to experiment on a totally new platform, like TikTok shop is all the rage right now. So it could be that it's probably not driving sales right now and you're okay with that for your brand. You are probably just looking for the talkability aspect of it. Or you're probably looking for a new stream of sales on a new social platform that's been on your radar. Or you're looking at a platform that drives new users for you. So understanding this aspect is what leads you to choose the platform that's correct for you and your brand. And each of these platforms, they come with its own specific capabilities. Um, It could be like a new audience that you're targeting. It could be a specific conversion you're after. It could be easier fulfillment, easier checkout. Um, So it's this aspect. It's understanding what our requirement is and what the platform offers. Uh, It's bringing the two together. That's the key to choosing the right kind of platform. I lied. I actually have one more question before we go into best practice. Um, Maybe I'll give this to to Finn, because we spoke about it briefly before. One of the things I've been hearing from everyone here is that one of the advantages is that you can close the loop on one platform, right? Right now, maybe you are using different platforms to complete the journey. It sounds like the direction that these platforms are going is that it will be all closed loops. So again, going back to the question I posed to Mansa, like, on what platforms are you supposed to go? Are you do you would you think that brands are going to be focusing on one particular platform to sell, or is it still going to be kind of disjointed across the, the ecosystem? Finn, so I think you need to look at this as a channel rather than the individual platforms, because the individual platforms might be closed loop, but the channel might be a way of working. I think we forget how quickly the industry changes. Right, it's it's only. 10, 12 years ago that the media planners didn't want user-generated content on their media plans. And now there's nothing but that there, right? Social commerce is new now, but will evolve quickly. And I think it goes back to the, the real basics of any marketing, right? What are your objectives of what you want to achieve? Then run, test, learn, and then optimize and, and go forward. So I, I think you're going to end up doing lots of different types of social commerce in lots of different places. I think it's going to be quite distributed. I don't think that you're going to have singular channels. I think there'll be winners, just like Google was the winner in search, just like Meta has been the winner in social. I think TikTok brings together audience and functionality in a way we haven't seen outside of China. And I think they're a natural winner to be a, a unifier at the moment because they have so much audience attention. But there are so many platforms and so many different ways of um, dealing with customers and acquiring customers. So I think it goes back to that basics of understanding your objectives and focusing that. That's a good segue to the next section I want to talk about, which is best practice. As we know, as our listeners know, that WARC is all about providing that best practice. So earlier we defined social commerce or a defining feature of social commerce rather is a social element, but that's not the only thing integral to the customer experience. And I want to spend the next maybe 10 minutes talking about those other factors. So let's first start with conversational commerce. And we normally associate this with interacting with chatbots or form of customer service. 
but how can brands move away from using this channel this way to build a brand and not just push sales? Going back to that point, we were saying that it's full funnel. So Amandeep, since you wrote about, again, line, any thoughts on on this? Sure. I think as we all know, building a brand is all about consistency, right? It is of utmost importance to all the marketers, right? A brand experience is usually, I would say, the emotional part of it to hook in the customers. And the customer experience is more of functional role, right? Uh, together, a great brand experience or a customer experience is, you know, uh, builds a great brand, which people really love to buy. I also believe that uh, in the world of e-commerce, we tend to forget one thing, right? Uh, that one thing is that shopping is essentially a social experience, right? Uh, if we are able to keep the human interactions at the center of shopping ritual, it is bound to succeed. And I think this is where uh, some something like line, line shopping really uh, fits in perfectly. And to your question, let me give you an example, right? Uh, let's talk about skincare brands. It's a, it's a huge category. Now, it's a vast category and you have... Uh, different subcategories inside skincare like dermatology right and you have multiple big players playing in this market right in southeast asia you have l'oreal you have bystoffs userine now what's important to a marketer is that we ensure that the brand personality tone of voice and the role it plays in customer's life also comes through a channel like line or whatsapp and if you're talking about a category like uh, acne or anti-aging which is really really high involvement a brand tends to play a role of a consultant right like a skincare expert uh, the idea is not really here to push sales, but to help find a solution to a customer's skincare problem. And sales is a result of that. So I would say even if uh, we live in the world where everybody's talking about chatbots and AIs, like you were saying, so I would say that even if we are using AIs, right, in a chat platform, uh, you have to make sure as a marketer that that chatbot is true to the brand personality and that every interaction which customer is doing with your handle reflects that. So retain that human aspect. And for me, you know, chat GPT and all that generative AI for me has just shown the power of human conversation as an interface, whether that's you're chatting with a robot or you're chatting with a actual human. And that goes into uh, enables more effective way of reaching and converting customers. So there's a human element, but I think there's another aspect of social commerce that people tend to overlook, which is payments. So I did a spotlight last year around how e-wallets and digital payments is adding that what I'd like to call like a crucial node in the digital ecosystem. And I know that, Finn, this is something you also mentioned in your article. You, you mentioned this term called live commerce requires not having to cross the road. Can you elaborate more on this and more about why payments is such an integral part to that experience? Yeah, sure. So I mentioned earlier the, the sort of the integrated experience of, of TikTok and the way it works in the same way that the Chinese platforms work, which is inside a, a walled garden. What the West has been doing up to now in most cases has been effectively, they've, they've thought of live commerce as a streaming advert and then the transaction happens somewhere else. So on a different app, a different website, you're effectively got one video driving consumers to perform an action, but the action takes place somewhere else. So like physically going and shopping in a department store and then having to cross the road to buy the goods. That's what I meant by that. What TikTok's done is they've baked all of that functionality into one platform and made it frictionless. So you're watching a video about a product and then you can purchase that product. Like I said before, in 5, 10, 15 seconds, it's absolutely, it's almost instant. It's 
too soon for someone to regret the purchase before they make it. So that's one of the issues in having to cross the virtual road, right? Going into another app or through another store is people start thinking about what they're buying. So you want to remove that friction. You want to make it very easy. And I think what we're seeing again with, with TikTok versus some of the platforms that have tried live commerce before is everything's baked in. And that's great for the retailer or the brand that's selling something because they don't need to worry about logistics they don't need to worry about payment processing and everything else and it's great for the consumer because the purchase becomes frictionless and very easy and it's click 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 and you've you're done you've bought something so i think payments only matter when they get in the way so if you notice them it's probably not a great experience if you don't notice them and they just happen in the background i think that's ideal for all forms of social commerce because it's social so it's a form of interaction and that should happen in a frictionless way in the background i i love that point where if you notice it that means something's wrong and the other thing i want to pick up from what you're saying is that yes a seamless experience but both for the buyers and the sellers and again if i can throw that word again, game changing. I think that's quite integral to how the ecosystem will mature and develop moving forward. Finn? I was just going to say, talking to retailers and brands in the US, one of the big things we're trying to explain to them as TikTok readies launching properly in America is that you should think of TikTok less like Meta and more like Amazon. These guys have gone around America, they're buying distribution centers, they're buying fulfillment centers, and they will... They will interact with brands and retailers in a way that is way more similar to an Amazon, a Lazada, a Shopee. They'll pick and pack. They'll go to warehouses. They'll send a courier company rather than they're just going to direct the sale and then you have to fulfill the sale. And that's a real mind shift for brands and retailers who are selling that this is an all all sort of an all-encompassing experience for the seller as well as the buyer. And that's a, a game changer as well, but on the other side of the table. That's a good segue to my next uh, question. I mean, game-changing or not, at the end of the day, it goes back to performance and KPIs. And I think what we've been saying is that social commerce can close the loop, gives that transaction layer that maybe wasn't there before. So how should marketers be measuring success on social commerce, whether it's live selling or conversational commerce? And for this, I would love to hear, Mansa, what are your thoughts? The precursor to measurement, I would say, is to first have total clarity on what's the business objective and knowing what platform we are going to engage, uh, like you said, be it for live selling or for conversational so once we know this, um, the planning and the execution and the rest of the flow is a lot easier and that helps us measure success in a better way. Um, say, for example, we are looking to test live shopping ads on TikTok as a, um, to sell a new product, right? Um, for live selling, we need to be mindful that, um, that there are multiple stages, like there is a precursor, there's a lead up to the event, which could be anywhere between three weeks to three days, uh, depending on your requirement. Um, then there's the event itself and there's a post-event. So pre-event, it could be measuring how many people are showing interest uh, to your teaser posts or how many are engaging with it, how many are signing up. Um, then the event itself where you track multiple things like viewership, engagement, sales, ROI. Uh, but here it's important to focus on our objective 
which is to sell the product that we've recently launched in the example, right? Um, so measuring success could be anywhere between um, adding to cart or sales or ROI, or it could also be something more unique, which is probably not prevalent right now, but would make sense for you and your brand and the platform. Like for example, GPM, uh, which is a metric that has come from Duyin, which is GMV per a thousand product views. So it essentially measures the efficiency of live content in driving sales. Um, and post-event, you know, you can touch upon how many users are visiting the product page if there's a sales uplift. Um, so this is just an example. But what I want to end saying is um, it can be tempting to measure success across multiple parameters all at once, like engagement. And I also want to see how many like redeemed my code and how much sales I drove. But ideal strategy and ideal way to measure success is to focus on one business objective and one KPI. That KPI you mentioned, Mansa, GPM, you said, is that, did I hear that right? Yeah. Do you hear more clients asking for this? How new is this, this metric? Just curious. Uh, It's probably not new in China, but it's totally new to me. And this is something that uh, my team and I, we've been researching of late. Um, because for platforms like TikTok, um, what we hear is, oh, my ROAS is probably not high enough. So TikTok as a platform is not working for me to drive sales. But there are a lot of nuances we need to bear in mind. Um, like TikTok is essentially a product discovery or a, or a content platform and people don't come there to buy things, right? They happen to see things and they happen to buy. So if you are looking at it as a way of driving sales, it's probably not the best for you. And even more so when you are um, when you have a live stream and you're selling products, a live stream ROAS starts and ends with the duration of the live stream. So if in case there are people who've seen it and they buy later, then you don't get that amount back into your ROAS. So this kind of a metric is something we came across that we found was very interesting because it's essentially tracking your content and how your content is directly helping you drive sales every thousand product views. Um, so we're still looking into it, but I find this very interesting. Well, for our listeners, maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. Maybe not, not might not be the first time, but remember you heard it first on the Work podcast with with Mansa. All right, so can I just jump in on that? Of course, Finn, go ahead. So I think the the comment around people don't come to TikTok to buy things um, might not be entirely accurate, given they've gone from zero to two billion dollars of GMV sales a month in less than a year and they're growing at 30% per month. So I think that's changing. And I think part of the change in terms of what people need to do is get away from an event-driven strategy and move into a strategy strategy and being always on and constantly on. It's a bit like the old days where people used to buy search keywords based around an event. That was really short-sighted. Um, because you just need to be there. If a consumer is looking for your brand, you need to appear when they search for your brand. Social commerce is actually an always-on channel. If we look at markets like Indonesia at the moment, you have brands like Skintific. They're doing 86 hours to 100 hours of live commerce a day in one market. So they have five or six accounts doing 10 to 17 hours 
a day on each account. And it's all about sales and it's only about sales. So I think the objective there is definitely people coming to TikTok to buy. That's definitely the intention and it's the intention of the communication channel and actually all of the brand halo, all of the fact that this is 100% retail that is media and media that is retail. It's 100% share of voice. It's 100% above the fold. So it has all of these other halo effects with it. But the, the ultimate aim is to sell more stuff to more people in a profitable and scalable way. I think that, for me, is what social commerce is about. This is much more of a retail channel than it is a marketing channel. And I think the moment that we shift as an industry and start looking at it more as a direct ROI sales-driven channel and having it always on, always open, always selling, that's where we're going to get the best results. That's a great segue into the last few questions. So I want to look at the, the future. By future, I mean the next maybe six to, to 12 months. And as you mentioned, Finn, things are constantly changing in this, in this space. And maybe before people were using it as an activation platform, maybe it's evolving towards a bit more of an always-on retail strategy. So I want to think about social commerce against some of those larger trends, particularly omni-channel. So social commerce, of course, is online, but as we know, post-pandemic, things are evolving uh, across different the use of different channels in a consumer's journey. And so I want this question for Amandeep. How do you see social commerce fitting into an omni-channel strategy in the next six to 12 months? What do we need to do to, to get there? Sure. I think uh, let's understand what omni-channel strategy really means, right? It's a it's a channel agnostic approach to build a great experience, right? And it's about providing that great experience to customers wherever they are on their customer journey. And I think social commerce has already become an integral part of uh, this, given the large reach and engagement, all these social platforms or touch points or channels, they provide any brand today, right? If the platform today provides you an opportunity to seamlessly move from discovery, consideration, evaluation, purchase, then by default, it becomes critical, right? It becomes part of your omni-channel strategy. The way I see it is that now marketeers are ready to embrace closing of the loop, like we have been talking about, from brand awareness to sales. And for that, you need a lot of things in the back end, right? You need a very strong data and operations framework. You need the tech stacks, mark tech, so on and so forth. It all really depends on the category you are in and how well you define the role of channels in your marketing mix. And you might ask me a question that it's very easy to talk about a category like beauty or FMCG. So let me give you another example. Let me give you an example of a car player like you know Ford or MG or Toyota. So you might want to define the role of social commerce in, in the consumer journey of purchasing a car. Uh, it would fall into variable, uh, for example, in driving the consideration and more critically, I think, in evaluation of the options. And it would lead to basically closing the reservation with your customer service, right? And what is more important is that it is not about integrating just the brand teams here. You need to integrate your customer service. You need to integrate your dealerships into that system itself, right? Because in a category like car, the final sale is going to really happen physically, right? In most of the cases, like everybody knows, uh, you would like to test drive the car before you actually purchase it. But the critical point here is uh, of a chat commerce, of social commerce, like I said, was it's a touch point to consider, evaluate, and buy. So it becomes a really critical part of the entire omni-channel strategy which a brand is building for the future. I like that you gave a category outside of uh, your typical beauty, which is usually cited in, in social commerce. And I think where the conversation should go is, bit more 
specificity. And I think that's where maybe emerging trends will come from or emerging forms of social commerce. So Mansa, are there any that you're seeing on the horizon that you think will come up in the next uh, six months to a year? Um, I think since so much of how social commerce performs is led by authenticity, um, so I think it's going to go beyond um, luxury goods, premium goods, or the typical categories. I think it might start uh, becoming more tailored for the masses, so to speak. Um, Aman touched on tonality, so that's an interesting thing. I feel like um, the way um, we speak to people can become more regionalized, uh, taking into account the nuances and the slang and the emotions behind how we communicate to the people within the region, especially with it, like apps like social commerce. Um, and also, I think uh, similar to how Pindodo is in China, which connects farmers to buyers, we might start to see some kind of innovation in this space in Southeast Asia as well. Um, so I think this is a great way for farmers to sell their produce, upgrade their agricultural production, build a brand and uplift the economy along with it. Um, and the third probably is, again, similar to what Pindodo does, uh, we might start seeing an increase in more community-led or reseller-led models where groups of users come together, they unlock a special deal. Uh, and I think there are already a lot of startups like this in Indonesia, like Chili Belly and Super, Evermoss. Um, they have been building capabilities in this space. I'm from the Philippines, and I know there's a lot of uh, like direct-to-farmer startups that are happening for selling. But imagine if you add the live streaming or video component of that, that could be incredibly powerful. But you touched on the fact that you know you could. It's about authenticity, and as we know, Asia is famously diverse. And how I think the last question I'll give to Finn: How do you see social commerce enabling the push towards more? maybe diversity and inclusivity, as we know, is another big kind of trend in the industry. So I think agree, I agree completely with Manta. I think the, the authenticity piece is absolutely huge. And I think the direct connection that social commerce gives from brands and retailers to consumers is a, a really important factor of why it's being embraced in the way it is and why the success is so, so large. Um, I think one of the drivers of that is people seeing or people being sold to by people who look like them, people they can relate to. So again, the online has always been about finding your tribes. So it's about finding the right tribe and the right product. I think we're also seeing some really interesting trends coming out of live commerce, specifically where you get the benefit of different factors from other channels. So the, the internet's always been amazing for buying product anonymously. It's um, always been really good for that. And we all know that in any channel, consumers really appreciate expertise and salespeople who know what they're doing. I think one of the things we see with social commerce and live commerce and this direct connection with experts and salespeople, but having one step removed, so you're also still getting the benefit of being anonymous, is we see that that leads to great interaction and great results. So we've seen that with um, cosmetics and makeup, as, as we said, that tends to be the most cited example. Uh, but there's also other other pockets where we're seeing this. So we're working with some brands in the lingerie space and um, they're seeing that in markets where they offer these products, where they're either using live selling or they're using private shoppers, 
They see that they're able to um, sell more and sell more risque products where people can buy. They're getting the authenticity and the connection with the brand. They're getting the expertise of dealing with a salesperson, but they're able to stay anonymous and stay behind, uh, stay, stay behind sort of a veil. Your answer makes me wonder what you're buying anonymous, anonymously, Finn. <laughs> Do you want to come out of the woodwork and say... <laughs> No, I will say that since I started working in like live commerce uh, in a big way, my knowledge of makeup has gone through the roof. And sometimes as you know, the big white guy in the room, I, I talk to some of the brand and agency teams. And I get some very funny sideways looks when I start talking about mascara and cover up and all, all kinds of products. So no, that's that's the only admission I'm willing to cop to. <laughs> And on that note, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you to our guests for your wisdom for providing clarity on this complicated phenomenon called social commerce. If you want to find out more, please download our social commerce report on WARC. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on your preferred podcasting platform. Until next time, thanks for listening.